0: Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers, hope you're all having a fantastic week and really delighted today to share with you today's guest mentor who is Michael Mills and Michael is UK Finance and Transformation Director at Jaguar Land Rover, which is an iconic brand in the UK motor industry and undergoing a major transformation programme or has been for the last few years now. So. It's really great to have Michael come on and share some of that, as well as we dip into some of his earlier experiences in his finance career as well, where we uncover the importance of putting the customer at the heart of every decision. We have a great conversation around that. Also, uh, Michael shares some tips, how we can get up to speed and maybe even get ahead when we're starting out building these transformation programs. Also, a bit of a fun conversation as to why finance professionals sometimes have to play the agony ant role. Which might be a new term for some of you so we can deconstruct what that means as well and also we deconstruct together this cool concept of burningness and why that is an important consideration for us when we're trying to affect or drive some positive change in our organizations and with our business partners and so on so i've spoken with michael now a few times really enjoy our conversations I hope you enjoy this one too. And if you want to delve more into it, you can check out the timestamp show notes, ways to connect with Michael, key resources mentioned, and a full transcript as well, and more at sitnshow.com. So thanks for tuning in today. I think that's enough for me for now. So without further ado, over to Michael and the show. Michael, welcome to the show thank you very much sir <laughs> but to look about we've spoken on a few occasions michael some of our audience probably less familiar with you so would you mind maybe giving us a brief career journey for them to get to know you better
1: yeah of course so i'm currently at jaguar land rover so i'm the uk finance and transformation director what does that actually mean it means a uh, jaguar land rover splits its uh, sales and marketing community into five regions the uk is it's uh, it's the third biggest region and I essentially help the leadership team, the managing director, sales director, marketing director, and so on. I just help them in order to deliver our transformation aspirations and to deliver our financial commitments and to drive that business forward. So I'm, I'm their conscience at times, their agony aunt, their teacher, their best friend, whatever is needed at the time. So yeah, it takes multiple roles. So that's where I am today. I've been in the role for just short of four years and it's been yeah, a bit of a roller coaster for like many people over the last few years with with covid and lockdowns and all sorts of, of interesting events externally and i've been at jaguar land Rover for actually about i think it's between five and six years so this is my second role in there beforehand i was actually at mclaren automotive so working with supercars which was amazing again smaller business more startup-esque a lot more nimble probably more chaotic as a result and there i held a number of roles starting with looking after the business planning some more fpna style then moving into more again the business partnering side so supporting product development which essentially is the engineering and R&D for the vehicle so all the future supercars and hypercars that they were building. I had the pleasure of working with the engineers, the purchasing team etc to basically take it from a sketch on a piece of paper to to full-scale full build and getting onto the right. road. So yeah, that was, that was good fun. And part of that, then I then took on manufacturing and some of the operations. So yeah, expanded the role. So again, yeah, yeah. Good, good learning journey there. And then before then I was at Johnson. So in the consumer side, so doing baby wipes, beauty brands, cosmetics. Yeah. So a bit of a slightly different field there.
0: But but that's interesting because you went from like a consumer orientation into the world of supercars. I have to ask, did you get a chance to drive any of the products that you saw through from start to finish?
1: yeah we know very yeah exactly very fortuitous position got to got to drive they had a test track in a place called Idiada in Europe whereby it's nice and hot all the time so you get perfect conditions big tracks and uh, yeah also got taken around a couple of high speed tracks by the by the race drivers which was good fun and yeah you really find out how good you are or how good you may not be as it was in my (laughs) like
0: I would say I am a little bit terrified of speed but what but like it is an interesting dilemma because obviously it's important to find us now we get out there and see the products in action like just doing our jobs having fun as well but it was like it's that balance right it's like you don't want to cost optimize too much on these types of machines, because putting a cheap part in at those speeds could probably kill you. <laughs> so it must be quite an interesting dynamic as a finance person trying to be the sort of the cost conscience, but also making sure that it's safe as well, and it's going to generate good revenue. So it must be an interesting dynamic to experience
1: yeah it is and it is today and was back then and there is that balance whereby you know clearly got a number of key kpis your cost of goods or material cost the volume which you want to you want to drive through the retail price And so you're trying to balance them all and yet at times you are having to make those compromises. And so do we want that grade of part? Do we want that accessory? Do you want that feature? And what's it going to cost and can we contain it within the overall targets? And it's then balancing the what does the customer need? What do they want? Great question. What's the value of that? And does the value of it and the perceived value and what the customer would would want is that greater or less than what it's going to take us to make it? Because if it costs us twice as much what the customer perceives it, then doesn't matter how good it is, you're never going to get a return, and so therefore it's it's balancing that, but always making sure that you have that customer lens. Otherwise, you can find yourself being very inward looking, very much looking at the bottom line, and actually that's a very that can become a very short termist very um, much posi- position. And you won't see it in the moment, but it will quickly bite you. And certainly in that world where product development for a vehicle takes between five and seven years in some cases, they're coming shorter and shorter now with things like agile methodology and agile delivery partnerships where you can share technology, which will expedite the process. But it's still quite a few years. So you've got to balance it accordingly. Otherwise, um, yeah, when it when that penny drops, then you're too late.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like I lo- but I really love what you said there about maybe you know, bringing it back to the customer lens. Like it's really interesting having a finance person in the room actually saying that. Sometimes because see people can be so inward focused on the design or on the pricing or on the marketing or whatever, and it's like you know I like that. It reminded me of Amazon and that sort of myth or legend because I've never worked there, but people have said on the odd occasion that when in the meeting rooms they they have that chair that's empty. And, you know, just remind them that, imagine if the customer's in the room with you, having them in the mind in our conversations.
1: Correct. And I think over the last, last few years, I know we've all been through some quite tough times and If anything, probably finance has found its voice more than ever, because it's about ensuring survival, liquidity, profitability, making sure that your businesses are actually able to survive and then flourish. So finance at the moment definitely has a very strong seat at the table, but there still needs to be that conscience of, look, we need to ensure that we don't lose sight of who the customer is, because again, you become so inwardly looking that you will you prioritise short-term over long-term. And it's, that's not good for anyone. I don't think anyone has, has proven that as a good strategy. So yeah, for me, and certainly the culture here at Jago Land Rover is, is very much trying to be more customer-focused. I think we are, we have been quite customer-focused, but I think there's been a recognition that actually we need to dial it up. We okay. We put the customer at the heart of many decisions, but not every decision. And I think that's definitely a a cultural change that we're going on now to better do that. And that's why we don't have quite the empty seat in the room. That's a great idea, actually. Maybe I'll I'll copy that with pride. But when we're making decisions now, we, we try to come back to what we call our Creator's code is five, five tenants. And one of, one of which is customer love. So always having that customer at the heart of every decision. And yeah, it's used in a real positive, not like a weaponizing manner, but a real positive. So that if we feel we might be off course, or we might be, again, very becoming very inwardly looking that we just remind ourselves, look very much. So I guess the Amazon example is not necessarily if they're in the room, put yourselves in the shoes of the customer. And we're very lucky and privileged that a lot of the employees are customers. Yeah, that, we
0: are, That's a great sign, isn't it?
1: Yeah. We're immersed in the products. We have drive events whereby we get to drive the products. The products are all around us. We own the products as well. We have a fantastic and benefit scheme that it therefore immerses. So that's a way that we help us connect because you'll live and breathing every day. I have a two hour commute from where I live in down in Ascot up to uh, up to Coventry. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time in the car. So, yeah, when things aren't quite there, I definitely feel it. And then it reminds me that when we're in those discussions, when we're in trade-offs between, let's say, is it feature A versus feature B? Just ensuring that voice of the customer is right there, heart and centre, and then we use that to balance against, okay, what does it cost? What's the perceived value? How quickly can we get it to market? Are there any concerns over the quality? Do we have to, therefore, change the product in order to meet that level of quality? And while, I think, I think it's fair that at times we've got those decisions wrong and therefore we need to put them right and that's why there's even greater focus on the customer to make sure that those decisions going forward are are far better and the policies and we do a lot of post reviews of like different things that we've implemented and i've gone okay what's the customer feedback what have they said and just being really open about it and being self-critical so that again we can always push it forward
0: yeah, I I actually, have to say, when you were describing all of that and I had it back in my head, I still miss those two-hour commutes up and down because I, I, <laughs> it was a similar part of the world years yeah. ago when I used to do it. Like I, I love the fact that we can work a lot more re- remotely now, but you, I think it is important that we still make opportunities to go and show into the offices, get close to the teams and get close to our customers as well. And you know, on your journey, you used the word, some of our audience might not be familiar with it, but it resonated with me too, was the word agony aunt and the different roles yeah. we have to play in finance. Now, if someone had told me I'd have to play the role of an agony ant, right? And I'd love to understand what that means to you in terms of your work as well. I probably would have paid more attention to the dear Deirdre column when I was younger <laughs> <laughs> in the newspaper but uh, that's, that's maybe some role the listeners might be able to relate to that one as well but yeah I suppose for you being the agony and like, since we don't get any training on being one it's a bit more technical into the T accounts and credit and debits and the financial yeah. statements like where do you where do you start being a good agony at
1: good question for me let let's delve into what I mean by agony. So to clearly a finance individual, a lot of times you're with a person in the middle and you're trying to help prioritise or balance conflicting priorities between different areas. You might have yes. Sales want to do one element, marketing yes. want to do another, engineering want to do one thing, purchasing want to do another. And while there's always that we all strive for that goal congruence and alignment, there's always those trade-offs and finance generally will find itself in the middle. Some of that is because we hold the purse strings and you've got you've got tom saying i want to spend this but i can't because because jane's spending it and then jane's like but tom's spending all the money so you find yourself in the middle therefore having to be a bit of an agony art listening to the woes of others but for me very much it's the listening to what each each stakeholder is trying to do what actually value are they trying to drive making sure that you come there with an open mind no perceived expectations and just be open to what they're trying to say and clearly they'll try to influence you right because you're the you're the person triggered but also part of it is to bring that balance because you don't have an agenda for the agenda for generally for the finance guy it's to see to get the kind of what is the most optimal result knowing that you can't win every battle to win the war so which battles do we want to win guys and helping helping your business partners your operational partners your other finance colleagues try to find what that balance might be and therefore bring a different perspective because you're not so deep so deep into it whereas the sales guys hit my volume guy i've I've got to hit those numbers and you're like no that's true but for instance you've got to hit your numbers but not by putting X amount of discount in there, and therefore eroding the margin. And you've got to find a balance versus the marketing guy saying that we need to make sure that we're driving brand loyalty or we're driving the brand understanding, and then trying to merge those two. So for me, that's what I class as my agony aunt, yeah. and just being almost like the filling to that sandwich. And and again, then it comes down to that kind of emotional intelligence, understanding, being empathetic, putting yourself in their shoes, or trying to understand. And then once you've assimilated all that information and kind of you've heard balance, then then trying to find and explore alternative solutions because you're not invested and therefore you might have a compromise or you might have other options on the table. I find a lot of the times, Binance are enablers. There's the traditional compute says no, you're out and at times we do need to play that role because they'll be like I've got this idea I'm smoking a big cigar and I've had this yeah. crazy idea and you're like okay thanks John but let's just let's let's just come back to down to earth and stop floating <laughs> away but other times it's just trying to help them enable and find solutions so yeah for me it's about listening it's about being em- empathetic having that emotional intelligence because of it, there could be a disagreement just because of where they are where are they Tom's just moved into a new house Jane's just is having childcare issues and they're just they're just unable to let's say have that clarity and you're able to step away from that and recognize okay god these are these guys just aren't on they aren't 10 out of 10 today they're probably not making the best decisions so have some emotional intelligence and then help them find the path together like that's yeah that's a lot of the role that i would say that's
0: a bit i to find hard is the more the emotional intelligence piece which is like being able to appreciate where sort of people are now and to do that i think you need an sort of an appreciation of what's going on around their life, what sort of life events are they going through. And some of them can be very stressful, like like moving home, getting a mortgage, getting married, getting divorced. Like there's a lot more outside of finance that goes on. So I think it's important to be aware of what's going on, to be a good agony aunt. And then also when you use word conflict, I think that that's just as much as we yeah, go for goal congruence. I just find like a lot of what we can do is smooth out the friction in economics terms, those dynamic transaction costs. They're like intangible in a way, but they slow down progress and it's important to smooth them out and minimize them. And I find it's very good at greasing things and removing friction or points of friction, because you said, the only agenda we have is to do what's optimal for the business to make sure it's yeah, it can survive till tomorrow, but also in the long term, too. So it's, and that's why I feel like uh, people migrate to us because we're like the sounding board. We're like uh, sometimes with the judge, judge and jury, <laughs> an executioner, sometimes, but yeah, like uh, I find more often than not nowadays, it's agony. And what do you think of this? Uh, help me understand this. is like, and then you're like, oh, because we're not experts in the business. it's so really cool though, and people say, well, what's that got to do with all of our technical training and stuff? Well, actually, I find that all technical training around understanding transactions and how business works and how to look at what's optimal and that allows us to learn really cool sort of things along our career and then as we sort of progress that it's all about the crystallization of that yeah. knowledge so we can apply it back and then we appear wise but we're not really that wise if that makes sense because we're always learning like knowledge applied is wisdom i'm so i'm told so it's actually a really <laughs> cool job it's actually quite meaningful and uh, can really make a difference so that's why finance is cool so speaking of which how did you get into the transformation side? So i think so you look michael you're a very commercial guy you're very much oriented about doing the best of the, of the business but the transformation why this step? Why do transformation now?
1: For me, I'm yeah always wanting to learn, always wanting to test myself, push myself, try not to be bored. I try to keep myself hugely active. And and so the transformation was an area whereby I dipped my toe in different little bits and I'd, I'd seen what it could be and what it could look like. And with the business, certainly at Techland going for a big transformation element, I just thought, well, oh, that sounds really exciting. Lots of change, lots of, therefore, opportunity to learn, lots of opportunity to pick up new skills that I, I could see it will... In enamor me for the future in terms of where I want to go in terms of my own personal aspirations. So yeah, for me, that
0: great one. Yeah. So the
1: transformation was a was a lot of the and let's you know, change is hard, change is difficult. <laughs> no one really likes it. If we're honest, if we could, we you know a lot of people would just keep rowing the boat in the same direction, and good or bad. And for me, therefore, that transformation it was is going to be really testing for me personally. it'd Be very testing for the business. It's going to be difficult. Yep. So therefore, if if I can succeed in that kind of realm, then I imagine I'll be far better. It doesn't, doesn't harm the CV. It means I've got some really yeah, nice poli- polished elements on there. The, like I said, the my armory of skills and experience is broader. So that, but it's about finance and accountants. They have a fantastic financial acumen. And then if they can then build up that business acumen and merge them together, then you can become a real force to be reckoned with. And that's when I mean, you, see, you see a lot of businesses you know, with finance, you the CFO and the finance leadership really driving the business because they've been able to merge that financial acumen with the business and therefore understand how the physicals drive the financials. Whereas sometimes operational partners, they understand the physical side, but not necessarily the con- corresponding financials. And so that's yes. why for me, if you can merge those two, then you really are in a really strong.
0: Couldn't agree more. And actually a fact probably might be really helpful for our audience is like some of those sort of early learnings you had or sort of initial steps that you found maybe were worthwhile for you taking, like in terms of to get up to speed with transformation or to start, like I said, I don't think there's really a great book out there at the moment. I said, this is how you do transformation. And, and organizations are different at different stages and whatever maturities so like what did you what sort of things that you sort of found worked well or maybe even stuff we should avoid doing when it comes to transformation and stepping into that area
1: definitely there's a little bit of self-education like you're right, there's education, no, there's, yeah. yeah there's no <laughs> there's, a lot. Yeah. there's no let's say killer book of going you read yeah. this and you're a an ninja no. like you become a no. transformation no. ninja and you've no. got it there's i'm sure there's lots of people that would probably attest otherwise, who I'm sure will send me their book link later. But a well, free know, book
0: is how bad. I'll take
1: it. I, I love stash and love freebies, so I'll take it. But definitely going out there and understanding some of the theory, some of the psychology, right? The yes, transformation and change, understanding how people operate, things like the change curve, where there are different change curves and how people will be on different points. And therefore, what's the psychology? How are they likely to react? What are they likely to do in those cases so that you can help them on that journey? You can understand them. And therefore, you understand what their reaction would be, their their counter argument will be. And therefore you can prep for that and be better placed to help drive that through. Cause like I said, change is difficult, transformation is difficult. And therefore trying to arm yourself and just be a bit more savvy. And goes probably back to that emotional intelligence bit, just being more savvy and understanding people recognizing some people are going to be in the boat from day one and they're going to be all in they're going to be absolutely all over it. and others are going to be like until they can see how it's going to impact them personally they're not even going to give you 40 winks they're not even going to give you five minutes so for me the self-education piece is probably the first step i'd take and that is you're just going out there understanding psychology some of the theory around around change and then once you've done that hopefully you'll have a bit of a grounding so that's probably the first step and then from there i'd say okay now, within transformation, how you can do it, there are a number of, again, methods to which to do this and different working practices. So, again, trying to get yourself abreast of different working practices and what would work best. Are, so do you want to take a more agile approach, agile principles? And you want to take a more of a sprint a sprint methodology, um, test and learn. Is that is that, will that work for you? Will that work for the business, for the product that you're trying <laughs> to drive? Or is it you want to go something more traditional, like a waterfall and more planned out with things like races and Gantt charts and all that, gubbins, all that stuff, which, again, you'll learn about and project management, you'll learn about and PMO and all that. There's many acronyms I'm sure I could throw at you. Just, basically, there's lots to learn. But there's to a lot f-
0: of acronyms, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's essentially, it's just there's different ways that the business can work out how it wants to solve a problem. And they're just different principles and methodologies so once you've got some of the psychology then understand actually what the tools are around you and then start thinking what tools do we think would be best place for whatever the activities you're trying to transform and then it's a case of right just start getting into it and the other bit that i really leaned upon was just your network because again oh, I-
0: huge. that was the one i always go to yeah definitely
1: When I jumped in, I jumped in with both eyes open, but I really didn't see how deep the water was. And before long, I was a bit like, oh, crikey, have I made the right choice here. But then just lean on my network, those that had done this role before, those that had stepped into transformation outside of finance, those that had just been in transformation all their life. And and some of that was my network that I didn't have, but I just reached out to them here internally. And I reached out to some of the other transformation leads and said, hey, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm keen as mustard, but probably ill-equipped. So get their advice and support and mentorship and then grew it. So again, i had done some of the work myself, like I said, that self-exploration, self-learning, but I still needed some yeah. practical tips and hints in terms of overcoming problems that you just don't get in a textbook.
0: Yeah, I think I'd go through that order like like you lined out, because I think it's important to have done some of the prep work beforehand because I think then you get more out of when you do reach out to people for, to bounce stuff around and you're reach out for the first time or, or establish network. That may, yeah, makes much more sense. And I, that's one I would have gone to. Speak, speaking of which, actually, right, is when we spoke previously, because uh, I want to get to the rapid fire questions. But before we do, you, you mentioned this really cool concept called burningness.
1: Ah, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'd love to share that because you you're the first person I heard ever say that. So, what is burningness?
1: yeah so how to best explain it so there's a book called the customer cornebicus i think it's called he's gonna he's gonna lambast me but the author is a, a chap called charlie dawson and working with him actually on the moment and uh, they wrote a book that was very much looking at uh, how to become customer-led so you know, we talked about to uh, make sure the customers first but how do you become customer-led and he said there's two ways that a business will operate it'll be an inside out or an outside in so an inside out is you look very much at you internally, you just focus on yourself and you go, the customer will get what they get. Yeah, yeah. The, then the kind of outside in is very much a customer through the eyes of the customer. What do they need? What do they? What problem are you trying to solve for them that they don't know about? And then you say, what is it? And then you then look internally to deliver that. And through this book, they describe through several examples what they call the burningness. So this driver for change and you have this burning sensation to change and it needs to build and build before uh, before you tip over and are, are ready to change. So do you have a level of burning, a level of desire, a big enough threat in order ah. to change? So you, it, and it's about that kind of that threat. So one good example is the reference Blockbuster. So Blockbuster were... Number one, we all sorry for some of us. We remember the days going. Down oh, to they were faster. huge, man! Yeah. yeah,
0: definitely, yeah.
1: You went down on a Friday, on a Friday, didn't you? And you were like, "What films are we going to get?"
0: Great selection um, of videos, DVDs. In, yeah, they had everything for a good, great movie night. Binge weekend,
1: um, even, before... Get your Hagendars, get your popcorn, get your filming, <laughs> and all before the days of Netflix and chill. And Blockbuster famously had the ability to, as we know, to purchase Netflix in its infancy. Uh, and they turned it down. They were like, no, we're making too much money through rental of our DVDs or VTRs and then DVDs. So They, they had no threat. They had no burnings. They had no burning desire to change because they had no perceived threat. And obviously what happened was obviously with the internet and with online and the likes of netflix and streaming services essentially were able to deliver a better experience for the customer because the customer loved the fact they get movies what they didn't like is going down and having to go in the rain and get in the car and generally wander around for half an hour in blockbuster trying to find that film and or speak to the individual going hey what's the latest film so they didn't have that desire but whereas the kind of the likes of netflix and others they recognized a customer problem they were able to put together a solution, essentially threatened their whole business model. And unfortunately, as we know, Lotbuster are no, no longer with us. They didn't have that burningness, that threat. And by the time they recognized it, it was too late. So for me, if they'd have, if they'd have understood, let's say, where the customer pain points were, and what's the problem that the customers are perceiving, i.e., be that outside in, really look at it outside and what problem is there? They would have recognized Crikey. If anyone ever comes up with a solution that stops people coming into the store and offers them in a way to do it. We're in real trouble but because they were so inwardly focusing looking at well this makes our biggest margin of course why would we change it why would we cannibalize ourselves and they just didn't speci- they didn't see the threat of new no. entrants and they thought they were too big too big to fail the classic line and unfortunately they didn't have it so so yeah it's it's a term that again has definitely influenced us in terms of that customer-led approach that having that burningness that we've recognized if if we don't have that customer focus we don't remove those friction points if we don't change then there'll be more nimble faster adapting new entrants to the market that will solve that problem for the customer and will will become a real threat to us yeah
0: yeah i i what a great example and like i like like how you did on an organization level if we bring it back into even our own finance worlds or whatever I, I always find i think winston church or something you know, you don't waste a good crisis it's a yeah. really great opportunity to do is whether or not it looks like they're going, uh, a team is going to overspend a particular QL line or something like that, and it needs particular focus and they need to take action on. But that's where variance analysis helps. We've loads of different tools and stuff to get the focus on and, and the burning desire on it, or you just paint the image in someone's head, like, you know. We're we're going over on that one. It's unfavorable. It's not looking great. Are you updating the street this week, or are you updating the manager, or whatever? What's your story to them? And you create okay. uh, That's not acceptable. Like we need to at least, if we're going to say bad news, we're going to have to come up with a plan to explain what we're going to do about it. Otherwise, people lose their jobs. And like that's it's again creating that burniness for action. So I love that concept. So I'm stealing that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I definitely stole it from um, Charlie (laughs) Dawson. (laughs) Yeah, and don't you worry, we'll we'll keep that gravy train going.
0: Yeah, definitely. Full credit, to uh, real credit. We'll put that to that in the show notes. So so Michael, look, you've given us some great advice. What's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Outside of burning, burningness, obviously. Outside the
1: burning of this, yeah. I guess just from one of my mentors early on, he was just like, just never stop learning. Like, it doesn't matter. There's always something new to learn. There's always something that you don't quite know. There's always an experience you haven't yet gained. So for me, just really liked that approach because one, it was super simple and the actual, the application of that is easy. And the outcome of that is you're going to, that that tireless pursuit for knowledge will only ever give you more assets, more, more experiences that you can then apply. And if you're super aspirational and you want to rise to the ranks of whatever organisation or whatever field it is, that pursuit of never stop learning, always gaining more knowledge will definitely endeavour you. And i be honest. it seems to have worked for me so far. I'm always trying to pick up bits from other people, the soft skills or the hard skills, those more technical ones or the like, is it more around data or is it, is there a new PowerPoint or power query that someone's got, is there a new shortcut that you can tell me, or is it a new podcast or is it a new industry, industry knowledge and you go, oh my God, look what that entrance done. What can we learn from them? That pursuit of, and advice never stop learning seems to have done me well so far.
0: And actually, in terms of that pursuit of learning, like, are there any places you go to get that type of learning you're looking for? Because it's quite diverse. Is there any sort of favourite sites or even if you lock down to even one book that you've picked up recently that you found quite useful?
1: Yeah, a couple, I must admit, I use a couple of sources. Now, again, the uh, the two hour commute up and bounce it gives me four hours in the car. So I am an audio book and <laughs> podcast fiend. So, yeah, a book I definitely recommend also as a, as a rugby fan is a book called Legacy. Uh, by Great James Wolf. Kerr. James Kerr. Yeah, which is all about the All Blacks. So it's, you know, what the All Blacks can teach you about the business of life and essentially breaks down how they've achieved their success in a number of lessons. Now, I know they run a bit of a bad, they run a bad form at the moment, but put that aside, historically, they're one of the most successful teams in the world. Yeah. And the lessons like
0: over, that you... Was it over 80% win rate, if uh, I remember
1: it, from the book? It, it was 80% yeah, plus, wasn't it? Yeah, it's something, it's just something obnoxious. It's so nice. you just like, yeah. cry, how?
0: Over how, a really how, long period of time. I think since inception, actually, it was just unreal. It was just
1: correct. Yeah. So I definitely recommend that, and it's super easy digestible. If oh, you like no, no. rugby, if you like rugby, this it's quite a bonus. If you don't, actually, it's not that it's not that actually, heavy on I, that side.
0: I read the book, and I also listened to on the audiobook as well. And it's crazy, oh. but the audio book think he, he does the guy doing the character who it is. He does actually try to put on the New Zealand accent, oh, which is <laughs> very good. He just you a Graham Henry, accent It's very funny. So he didn't get any Wells trying in there. But anyway, yeah, so that definitely great recommendation. I, I yeah, so encourage your audience to check that one out. And look, I suppose, in terms of if our audience wish to continue the conversation or even ping, ping you on transformation tips, where's the best place to connect with you at?
1: Someone on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Michael Mill. Yeah, yeah, definitely make a lot of connections on there. There's a number of mentees or mentors that i found myself, or people have reached out to me, and it's a great platform to find people you think might be able to add experiences. So, yeah, definitely find me on there. And it's the summer season, so you'll probably see lots of pictures of me at different events. I promise I do work as well but yeah you'll see me at the odd <laughs> event here and there but yeah any questions yeah always contactable
0: yeah and well, it's always that continual learning and I think that's why we go to the events is the learning off of each other and it's uh, opportunity to share with you learn from others and yeah LinkedIn's a great resource as well for connecting so look I'll put that link into the show notes and I suppose before we wrap up Michael any parting thoughts for our audience
1: Yeah I just think at the moment there's lots of change in the world that's happening and certainly in the finance and accounting world I think a lot of businesses are waking up to the use of data and to the power of data and I think finance can be essentially leaders in this field uh, and can be really at the spearhead of driving that change that adoption of data and making better business decisions so for me I think the kind of key takers I'd love for the audience to take away is lots is happening in this field. So if you aren't already involved, you know, get involved, look for resources There's stuff on, simple stuff for free on the ACCA website and I know SEMA do it as well. So Great websites, yeah. Yep, so jump onto those, get involved and and just be curious. It goes back to that, never stop learning, be curious, don't be scared. When I first dipped my toe in, I was very much out of my depth again. But when you spend a bit of time into there, then you'll find actually it's really exciting and there's some really powerful stuff whereby you can add even more value to your business. So it's definitely something I'd say, if you aren't in, you don't want to miss it.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what stops a lot of people dipping in is because they might see a lot of it out there, They assume everyone knows about it and is doing it. Def, definitely not. So definitely dip your toe in and uh, couldn't agree more. So on that note, Michael, thanks for being such a great guest mentor on Strength of the Numbers today coming on our show.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
0: So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter